Hello, everybody. I'm making sure this video is public just really quick. Um, and then we will get into questions. Oh, my goodness. I set it to the wrong account. Crap. Hold, please. Okay, it's pulling up now. All right. Hold on. I'm um, ill-prepared here. <clears throat> Excuse me. There it is. All right, cool. I'm setting this to public right now. So that means that you guys are going to be able to ask questions. Um, I do have a couple questions that people have already asked in the comments, but um, from a previous post. Um, but if you have questions, please drop them and um, I will bring them up to Lucas uh, since he has law knowledge more than I do. So you're welcome, Robin. Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm here with you, Peanut. <laughs> What's up, guys? <clears throat> so I had a couple people ask um, if I would bring Lucas on because they have some questions, um, law-related questions uh, toward the Derek Chauvin trial. So um, uh, if, if you guys don't know, this is my husband, Lucas. Um, he does have a law degree. He does not practice law right now. Um, but he does have a law degree and he is a very intelligent man. So Thank you. we're going to ask him questions and let's, uh, do, do we want to just do a little recap of what happened? Um, yeah. okay. So, I mean, you can lead that if you want to, I mean, it, go ahead. So basically, um, as most of the world knows by now, uh, Derek Chauvin, former police officer in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, <clears throat> was on trial for the death of George Floyd. He was being charged with second degree murder, uh, third degree murder, and second or third degree manslaughter. Uh Typically, second. the man, the second degree manslaughter. So, um, second degree murder, as you can imagine, is is the the higher caliber charge, the highest caliber charge. So, the other charges would be basically lesser included charges. Um, second degree murder involves, I believe, under Minnesota law, someone um, dying following someone else engaging in um, something likely to cause serious bodily harm. So if you think about it like this, first degree murder is you intentionally meant to murder someone. You did in fact murder them. You had the intent and you did the act and you did it with um, some kind of preconception. So you planned it you thought about it. You had plenty of time to know what you were doing and you did it anyway. Um, you know, sometimes people call it premeditated, whatever you want to call it. The point is, is that's not what Derek Chauvin was charged with. He was charged with the lesser count of murder, second degree murder, which is more of a, you intended to act with some kind of dangerous level of activity that resulted in someone's death or a homicide. 
Um, he's been on trial for three weeks, I believe. Um, the jury went, the, the, uh, closing arguments happened Monday. The jury was out for a little over 10 hours and came back with a verdict. Uh, the jury could have found him guilty of all three charges. They could have found him guilty of one of the charges. They could have acquitted him on all of the charges or some of the charges. They could have done a lot of different things. And that's why you charge multiple charges because it gives a jury opportunity to convict on any of the charges that are involved. In this case, the jury took very little time to determine that in their view, um, Derek Chauvin was guilty beyond any reasonable doubt of the second degree murder of George Floyd, as well as the lesser included of third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. Second degree murder, uh, in Minnesota, I believe, carries a maximum penalty of 40 years in prison. Um, I think the other two, I think maybe second, a third degree murder carries a maximum of 25 years and the manslaughter charge 10 years. Not terribly important because he won't be convicted to, or he won't be sentenced to serve those charges uh, consecutively, which means you serve one whole sentence and then you serve another and then you serve another. He'll be sentenced concurrently, meaning he'll get sentenced to the highest charge and that's what he'll do his time for. Um, in this case, there's a presumption of maybe 12 and a half years on the second degree murder charge. Uh, however, the prosecution has indicated that they're seeking an aggravated um statement. Basically, you can just a regular second degree murder. Uh, you would be if you didn't have any previous um, felonies or any previous convictions, you'd be looking at a presumption of 12 and a half years, which means that's probably the sentence you would get um, unless you committed the murder in front of children or you committed the murder as an official in a in some kind of official capacity so under the color of law as lawyers typically say in this case uh, both of those were true the murder happened in front of children and he was a police officer when the murder happened so based on that um, they would typically ask the jury to determine whether or not the aggravated um, circumstances apply and whether or not the judge could deviate upward from the presumptive sentence of 12 and a half years or whatever it is for second degree murder. Um, Mr. Chauvin waived his right to have a jury decide the aggravating factors, as I understand it, um, which means it'll go into Judge Cahill. I think I have the name right there. Judge Cahill's hands. He'll get to decide whether there's aggravating circumstances and he'll also sentence Mr. Chauvin to whatever he deems appropriate. Um, the long and short of it is there's going to be about eight weeks of preparation from both sides, talking about why they think it was aggravated, why it wasn't, why he should serve less time, why he should serve more time. So it just really depends on which side of the thing you're on. Um, and then the judge will hear more evidence. He'll hear more evidence of Derek Chauvin's past. Um, now that he is a convicted murderer, um, all of those things that couldn't necessarily come in in the trial can come in in the sentencing phase, and the judge is able to um, 
hear all of that evidence when sentencing Mr. Chauvin to his prison term. I anticipate that he'll get uh, fairly close to the max. I think it's been pretty clear. This is just me. This is my opinion at this point. Um, I think that it's been very clear that there was an expectation that Mr. Chauvin would be a certainly take a hard fall for what most people or many people, I should say, uh, determined to be a very careless, um, in some, some ways, some people have called it depraved behavior on the part of Derek Chauvin when it came to George Floyd. From the video and from everything else, I've said for a long time, I felt like he was going to be convicted. Not necessarily because the evidence was strong enough to convict under certain cir- under normal circumstances, but this isn't normal circumstances. Um, under the way things are going right now in our current world history, um, certainly in the United States, I think that it was uh, apparent that Mr. Chauvin was going to face some stiff penalties, and it's turned out that way. So. Okay, so this this question has been asked a couple times now. Um, people are not understanding how they can charge <clears throat> Derek with uh, murder and manslaughter because the way that they're taking it is that manslaughter is unintentional and that murder is intentional. But the way it sounded like you were saying is that you can get a murder charge that's an unintentional murder. Am I wrong there, or is that... Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And first of all, let me tell everybody, I apologize. Kaylee and I do have head colds. So (laughs) if you both sound like men, (laughs) we do. If you hear some sniffling and some coughing, we certainly apologize. We're not intending to be annoying. I know sometimes that is annoying, but uh, you're exactly right. It's odd. And the law is odd. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, What what those kinds of charges are are called in legal uh, lingo is lesser included. So basically when the prosecution chart, when the, when the district attorney and the prosecutor charges someone with crimes, they can charge, they typically charge them with the strongest pen, the strongest crime that they think that they could get them convicted of based on the evidence, along with several lesser crimes or what we call lesser included. Uh, just so the jury has an opportunity to get them on something. So oftentimes you'll hear people uh, get charged with murder and attempted murder or, um, you know, uh, certain kinds of different kinds of assault, different kinds of battery, different kinds of all kinds of things. And they have varying degrees of penalty attached to them. And it's because the, the court intends to give the jury an opportunity to say, we don't think the evidence is strong enough to uh, warrant a second degree murder conviction, but we certainly think that he acted with negligence or reckless abandon in some way. So we're going to go ahead and convict on manslaughter. And it's, you know, that's just how that works. Now, there was a question early on in the trial about whether or not the third degree murder charge could be applied here if he was charged with second degree murder at the same time. Uh, there's an appeals court in, in Minnesota that right before Vordire began for the jury, uh, which is where they the, the two sides pick a jury. Um, it's a process for picking a jury. 
right before that began, the appeals court came down and said, yes, they could be charged. But that's still a question that could potentially be out there for the defense to consider when the defense considers an appeal. So um, I'm sure somebody's going to ask that. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into talking about the well, appeal. Well, one, let me, yeah, yeah it is on my list, but let me, I want to address this real quick. So his, his sentence is going to reflect the worst crime, not all right. of them added together. Um, if you just hopped on, he went over that. So yes, it will reflect the worst crime. Um, and then Claire's got a question. Um, aren't the charges also dependent on which state, the state in which the crime was committed? I legitimately don't know. So I'm just curious as to whether or not that has a different meaning, depending on which state you're convicted in. In some cases, yes. Uh, different states can have different degrees of murder, for example. Um, criminal law has evolved over the many decades that the United States has been here. It started with uh, common law principles where there was there was only murder um, as a as a killing of another person, mur murder and manslaughter, voluntary manslaughter. Uh, and then it's evolved over the years. And typically most states are pretty uniform now where there's first degree murder, second degree murder, um, typically a third degree murder in there as well. And then you have your voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter. Sometimes they have degrees of manslaughter. Listen, it all comes down to the same thing. In order to convict someone of a crime, the prosecution has the burden to prove that the defendant committed that crime beyond a reasonable doubt and that all of the elements of that crime are met. The standard definition in, a criminal, in criminal cases for elements of a crime include both the intent for the crime, or what we call mens rea. I'm not going to get into the Latin terms because it, it bores people, but um, both the intent and the act. So if it's an intentional murder, like first degree murder is, you would have to have the intent to plan um, and, and then ultimately the, the commission of the act. And the, the real key, I'm not, again, there's a lot of definitions, a lot of elements Sometimes the elements of the particular crimes will differ state to state. But the idea is um, not every time somebody takes someone's life, did they do it with uh, malice aforethought or uh, some kind of premeditation, right? If I plan to go and kill someone and then I go do it, I've committed a premeditated murder. And we've determined as a society that that's the worst kind of murder that there can be. And there can be aggravating circumstances to other things that can happen during the murder. But the idea that planning a murder and then committing it is murder in the first degree is as old as television, right? Uh, and then underneath that, there's all kinds of other things. There's murder that happens when all you were trying to do was, was do a drug deal. Um, murder that happens when all you were trying to do was hit somebody with a car. You didn't mean to kill them. You meant to hit them with a car, but then they died. So on and so forth. Um, but typically they're fairly uniform. I'm only talking here about Minnesota law because in this particular case, that's what I've uh, considered. I was licensed in uh, Kansas and Missouri, and then most in for for the most part, most of those laws are very similar and pretty uniform, at least in those jurisdictions. Okay, so 
I'm sorry. I'm just, I hope that everybody can stick around long enough to get these questions answered because there's some really good ones. Um, so I've got, uh, what would an appeal do? And then what what is the likelihood of winning an appeal? And Casey, I'm going to add your question to my list. So don't worry, buddy. I won't, I won't lose you. So when you're convicted of something in a criminal court, in most states, you have what's called an appeal by right. So you have a right to an automatic appeal. Um, nobody, nobody has to decide whether or not you can appeal. You have a right to an appeal. Um, in this case, Derek Chauvin has the right to appeal and he will most likely exercise it. Uh, the thing about an appeal is in an appeal, you can't really argue your facts again. You don't get to argue to the, it's not most, some people think of an appeal as, Okay, the jury had their say, but now let's give some judges their say. And that's not how that works. What the judges on appeal are going to be allowed to consider is whether or not the judge at the trial level made any mistakes of law. So while there are certain circumstances where an appeals court could say, you know, that there are no facts in evidence that the jury could have reasonably considered for a murder conviction, we're not going to talk about that because we don't have that kind of thing here. It's highly, highly, highly unlikely. And I'm not even sure it's allowed under Minnesota law for an appeal. What we are going to talk about is there's a few particular grounds um, upon which I think Derek Chauvin and his legal team will appeal. Uh, one is the issue we talked about earlier with the third degree murder. He could potentially get that third degree murder charge dropped. Again, that won't make a lot of difference because he was convicted on the, the charge of second degree murder. And there is very, very little chance that, that an appeals court will do anything with that charge. So that's the one thing that he'll appeal on and could potentially win. I mean, it, it, it matters very little. The other one that I think is a much more likely grounds for a successful appeal is early on in the case, the defense counsel asked for the jury to be sequestered. He wanted the jury to not only not be able to see news, and if any of you are old enough, excuse me, I got to cough for a second. <laughs> Sorry, guys, our kids brought home a cold and we both have it. <laughs> if any of you are old enough to remember O.J. Simpson, that jury was sequestered. They were driven to the courthouse and back to the hotel for the entire the entirety of the trial. They were not allowed to watch TV. They were not allowed to read the newspaper. The judge kept them basically under lock and key because he didn't want their verdict to be affected by what was happening in the world. The, the defense counsel in this case asked for the same thing, and the judge denied their request. Um. People assumed right from the beginning that there was the possibility and the potential that if this jury, if this jury was known, that they could be uh, influenced or coerced in some way uh, against Derek Chauvin, potentially for Derek Chauvin. Who knows? But the request for sequestration was made and it was denied by the judge. There's one potential ground for appeal. In the examination of the totality of the circumstances under which the jury spent their three weeks, it's potentially, I mean, I think it's likely the judge even said as much that it's likely to come up on appeal that politicians like Maxine Waters 
were making statements um, against the uh, overall administration of justice. The judge was certainly no conservative. He was a former aide for Amy Klobuchar. Um, I think most people that know him know him to be a pretty liberal judge. It doesn't mean he rules in a liberal way. It means personally he's very liberal. Um, the question of whether or not to sequester the jury is a is an important one in any criminal case with uh, popularity. But in this particular case, I think it was a very important question. Um, the judge knew it was important. He ruled against it. He made a statement late in the case that based on that and based on the statements from people like Maxine Waters, it's likely the defense will appeal on those grounds. Will they be successful in Minnesota? It's hard to say. And we won't know for three or four years because the appeal will take, you know, a minimum of a year to get through the first layer of appeals. And then if it goes all the way to the Supreme Court in Minnesota, it's going to take a while to get through that whole process. Uh, in the meantime, Derek Chauvin will be likely uh, serving time. He probably won't get bail during the appeal. It's possible, but it's unlikely. Um, and then we'll have to see, but it'll be long forgotten about by the time that appeal gets through and we find more out. Um, on top of that, the question about the jury, um, just in your own personal opinion, do you feel like this was a fair trial um, given what you just said about the jury and how, you know, it did, I don't feel like it played out right. I think that the jury should have been sequestered, but do you think it was a fair trial? Well, I've said from the beginning he was going to be found guilty of something. Um, I don't know that you could find 12 people in Minnesota that wouldn't be afraid for their lives if they walked out of that courtroom with a not guilty verdict. That's not to say Derek Chauvin wasn't guilty of murder. Um, I watched the video. My initial gut reaction when I saw the video is I felt terrible for George Floyd laying there on the ground saying he can't breathe, begging for his mom. Um it's a very hard thing to watch rate all the race racial stuff aside. It doesn't matter to me what color George Floyd's skin was. There's melanin comp or his mel yeah, has melanin content. Um, what mattered to me is that it really appeared that that officer, even if his training was to initially, uh, detain someone in that manner, the the length with the length of time that he did that was too much and i think the circumstances didn't warrant it uh so i wanted to hear evidence i wanted to hear why did he do that i would have liked to have heard i would have i wanted to hear him um testify but i don't think that was a wise strategy for the defense to let him testify because i really think then you open the door to past activity and all kinds of other things that could have come up and uh, it would have been a bad deal all the way around. So at the end of the day, our system of justice gave him his day in court. Uh, a jury of 12 of his peers and from the community determined that he was guilty of the charge as uh, charged. And we got to go with that. Now, here's the thing. Even if he'd have been found not guilty, uh, he probably would have still served time. What? What do you mean? Well, under federal law, we have um, chapter 40 or uh, 42 USC 1983. So chapter 42 
United States Code, Section 1983. It's famous because it's the it's the part of the federal law that protects your civil rights against people acting under the color of law. It's the color of law statute. Basically meaning if a state actor, a police officer, a federal agent, anybody with with the authority of the law behind them deprives you of your civil liberties, they can face uh, jail time, stiff penalties, stiff fines, whatever. Um, And I think the feds were preparing to charge him in federal court if he was acquitted in state court. So one way or the other, he was going to be probably serving some time. I mean, I don't think there was any way he was walking out of this whole thing with less than um, three to five years of time one way or the other. Because I think even if we determine that he didn't commit murder in the traditional sense, he didn't mean to murder George Floyd, uh, he certainly meant to deprive him of of his liberty in that moment. And I think that he uh, did so in a way that wasn't necessarily reasonable. That's just my, my take now. Again, with criminal laws like that, with with situations, you have to consider the totality of the circumstances. And I'll admit, I don't know enough about any prior relationship that they had. Um, You know, anything else. What I know is what I saw from the video. He was clearly, George Floyd was clearly um, dealing with some, some major heightened anxiety and stress. Uh, probably because he was facing the potential of being arrested and probably because he was on some drugs. Um, He didn't want to go in the car. He resisted arrest. He did a lot of things he wasn't supposed to do. And for that reason, those police officers had a right to detain him, to handcuff him, to, in my view, pick him up and manhandle him into the back of the car, whatever they needed to do. Um, But then he ended up on his stomach, right? And he ended up on his stomach with his hands cuffed behind his back, um, yelling that he couldn't breathe. He had just recovered from COVID and being somebody who has been through that, I believe it. Uh, And then, you know, screaming and crying for his mom and everything else that was going and then stopped, stopped screaming, stopped wiggling, stopped moving. And the knee didn't come off the back of the guy's shoulder blades, neck, whatever. Uh, At some point, it took a turn from mere... Uh, restraint and turned right into deprivation of liberty. That may not be a popular opinion on this particular channel. I don't know. You guys can take it up with me anytime you want to. That's my opinion. Um, so I, I, they are asking a lot about there's apparently there's three other cops, three other officers that are being tried together. Um, how do you feel like do you think that the that this verdict is going to change the outcome for them, or what? What do you think that's going to look like for them? Uh, it shouldn't. It. Sh- I mean, it, in a perfect world, in a perfect justice system, it wouldn't affect anything that happens in their trial. I don't know enough about what they're being tried, what they're being charged with. Um, you know, I I saw what what everybody else saw on the video. I think that they, you and I bystanders have no duty under the law um, or under any kind of tort law or negligence law. We have no duty to come to anyone's aid or rescue ever, period. However, police work under a different duty under the laws of the state of Minnesota. 
And if there's some law in the state of Minnesota that requires a police officer to intervene when another police officer is doing something that deprives the the uh, suspect of his civil liberties, then yeah, it's possible that they could be tried, convicted, and and you know serve time or be fined one way or the other. I'll have to look into that, look into their particular charges now that we've kind of pivoted to talking about them and away from Chauvin. Um, but and unless there is specific laws and rules or something that required them to do something to prevent Derek Chauvin from taking George Floyd's life, and I'm not saying that it's no longer um, an accusation, a jury has determined Derek Chauvin took George Floyd's life in, uh, in under the second degree murder statute in Minnesota. So based on that, did they have any duty to act in a different way than the way they acted? If they did under the laws of Minnesota, then yeah, they could potentially be convicted. Okay. Uh, one more question before we answer Michelle's. Um, I want to know your personal opinion. Do you think that uh, given the, the circumstances of what's going on in the world, that that jury was under uh, an exceedingly high amount of pressure more than normal? And do you One, think that that impacts that impacted their decision? I'll tell it to you this way. If I were the judge, I would have sequestered the jury. I would have tried to keep them in one way or another anonymous from the public. I would have taken the heat because I've been put in a position of power and given the charge and the duty to administer justice fairly. And I don't think it was administered fairly, period. And I had this conversation today with somebody, people who know me know I'm telling you the truth when I say this. I would have sent my family to some farm in Kansas where nobody could find them. And I would have sat on my front porch and said, Maxine, bring your posse and come talk to me. I mean, if that's what it's going to take, if you guys need a martyr, I'm going to have to be your huckleberry because at the end of the day, that's my charge. That's my duty as the judge in this courtroom. And it's my courtroom. And until it's not, the jury is sequestered. I have a gag order on on all the media and all the press. Their their faces are not to be shown and their names are not to be known, period. That's the only way we can get a fair trial. That's what I would have said, plain and simple. Um, at the end of the day, I think that uh, the involuntary manslaughter charge was fair, certainly. I think that's what I would have stood up for. And I would have done the same in the jury. 12 angry men, or in this case, uh, seven women and five men or eight and four, whatever it was, I would have stood up and said, guys, I, I do believe he acted with a dis, with a reckless um, abandon in this case or whatever the elements are in the languages in the, in the uh, manslaughter charge. And I would have found him guilty of that with aggravating circumstances. I would have hoped he would have served somewhere between seven and 12 years or seven and 10 years in in prison for the murder of George Floyd. That's how I felt about it. But I wasn't on the jury. I certainly wasn't the judge. And, you know, I still think if Maxine Waters wants to come to my doorstep and talk to me, I'm more than happy to to hear her out. <laughs> so Michelle says, uh, how do you feel about President Biden Biden calling the Floyd family um, when he didn't even call the lady that died at the Capitol their, their family? 
Um, should a president reach out to somebody like that? Because if it was Trump, they would have been all over him. Well, listen, if I was president, I'd reach out to whoever the heck I wanted to. And if um, if that's Ashley, uh, is it is it Babbitt or Bobbitt? Babbitt? Babbitt. Babbitt, Babbitt. Yeah. If it's her family, it's her family. If it's somebody else's, you know, family that died in a way that I felt was uh, um, tragic and had public consequence, I'd reach out to them too. I probably would have reached out to George Floyd's family, to be honest with you. I wouldn't have any issue with that. If my vote, if the people who vote for me to put America first have a problem with me reaching out to somebody like um, the, I can't remember her name, um, Mrs. Floyd, not not George George's wife, but his mom. If anybody can tell me to my face that they've got a problem with me reaching out to her when her son died, then, uh, you know, like I said, I'll field that conversation. I don't have any problem. My mouth never writes checks. My body can't cash, whether it's my trigger finger or otherwise. So depending <laughs> on how much somebody wants to ratchet it up, I'm I'm your huckleberry, 100%. But I think the people on our side, if you will, conservatives watching this, conservatives out there in America, people who care about America and want America to be successful, nobody would fault me for reaching out to somebody who, who died. I'd reach out to as many as I could. Soldiers, police. We've had several police officers die um, in the last six months in the line of duty. I'd reach out to every one of them that I could. I really would. And, you know, I think that's a, that's an act of compassion. And maybe it wasn't for Joe Biden. I don't know. Um, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I understand. Now, what he said about there being a right verdict, that piece of it, he should have, if he felt that way, he should have waited till afterward. Um, yeah. But again, whether that had any impact on the jury or not, we'll never know. It's highly unlikely. Maxine Waters claim about being more confrontational. If there wasn't a first degree murder conviction, all of that certainly is problematic because I can totally see a juror saying, Oh my gosh, I better rule a certain way, right? Yeah. And Claire, I agree with you. It needs to be both ways. It, it, definitely. Why can't and we And that's what I was just, I was going to interject and be like, I can see why people are frustrated with that because mm -hmm. I, 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 I think they understand Biden's line of thinking and the narrative that he's trying to stay within and all that stuff. Um, you're coming at it from a good place. I don't think that he is. So that's, it, it yeah. should be both sides. It should be, you know, everything, all of it. It doesn't matter. You're an, you're an American. So it should yeah. be for everybody. <laughs> to, to be fair, most politicians exist in a world where they are a caricature to the other side. Always. None of us view Bill Clinton or Joe Biden or Barack Obama or George W. Bush or anybody else um, completely accurately. Right. So I saw George Bush give an interview this past weekend where he said, um, that he felt like all Donald Trump wanted in his four years of office was to be in the newspaper. Now, my first quite my response to him would be, well, how do you know his intent? When he says something, how do you know that his intent is to be in a newspaper? I mean, if Donald Trump wants to get on, on the news or be in a newspaper, he can do it without saying any of the things he said. I mean, there's a million money, ways money, money, money. <laughs> and if really, if really what he wanted was to be popular for some pecuniary reason, cash, why become president and lose a third of his net worth? That's ridiculous. Right. 
So yeah. you say stuff like that and you have to, you have to understand we're all human. We all have our biases. We all view people differently. We all have weaknesses. Um, Joe Biden's no different. Neither is Donald Trump. I don't think he's the most articulate president we've ever had. I think he functions mentally a lot better than Joe Biden. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that we all view people, politicians on the other side of our political spectrum and politicians that don't have our worldview um, in some sort of caricature. So I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think my opinions, my positions, and my thoughts are strong enough on their own that I don't need to tear somebody up and, and make them a caricature just to prove them wrong. But that's just that's just me. I mean, that's the, that's what the left does. That's their game, not ours. Absolutely. And we're better than that. Raise your hand out there in America. If you think you're, if you think conservatives are better than that, I sure do. So in my world, judging by his fruit and the fruit of the Democrat party has been division, racism, fear, anger, debt, um, joblessness, homelessness, all kinds of things that are problematic. And it's been that way since the sixties and you know, it's, it's not right. And we need to work to stop it. I agree wholeheartedly. All right, guys, we're going to hop off here because I can't guarantee what our children are doing. Um, neither of us <laughs> are watching for them. Me, so. Kaylee. I appreciate it. <laughs> I love coming on of here course. and talking about stuff. And if you guys, if anybody out there in the interwebs has questions, Always feel free to send them to Kaylee. She asks me stuff all the time because it's a lot easier to sit in the living room and answer those questions to her than while the kids are playing in front of us, than take this time out to to vote for both of us to be on the air. So, uh, although I know you guys love it, so <laughs> all right, guys, we'll catch you next time. Have a great night. Take care, everybody.